Hello and welcome to the Flucoma podcast. So in this episode I'm talking with Simon Smith who is currently the studio technician at the Birmingham Electroacoustic Sound Theatre, better known as Beast. Um, so Simon is experienced in acousmatic music and its diffusion. In 2016, he obtained an MA from De Montfort University for his research on the listening to acousmatic music in the concert hall. And with Beast, he supervises a setup of up to 100 loudspeakers that's been used all over the world and at various events, such as the Sound Theatre's own new music festival, Beastfest. Um, so Simon is also a musician and creative coder. His practice takes many forms, uh, from installations to solo performances, to alternative DJing, to participating in groups such as John Richard's Dirty Electronics. Um, for many years, Simon has been part of the Kima community and has bridged between Kima and bespoke pieces of hardware like EMG bracelets using Macs. Um, so Simon has recently been using some of the Flucoma tools and he has kindly accepted to come and talk about some of his experiences today. So Simon, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, hello. Um, so perhaps you could start by telling us uh, a little bit about how you got into the world of electronic music. Well, thank you for inviting me and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I got, I, I as many probably uh, men of my age, I think uh, I got into this just by playing around on keyboards when I was about 14 years old with aspirations to be uh, either Depeche Mode or Jean-Michel Jarre, which is quite sad retrospectively, but there we are, it's out there now. Um, and uh, so I got into kind of uh, just like home keyboards and then got my first synthesizer and MIDI sequencer. Um, and then when I was about 17, uh, I had a friend and she introduced me to Stockhausen or she was being taught Stockhausen at university and um, I was really intrigued by this very sort of very different music and she introduced me to Cage as well and uh, I went to shortly after that I think I went to Bristol Library on a whim and I got two books out I think one was um, John Chowning's dx7 programming book why i thought i needed that i don't know and uh the other one very presciently was uh simon emerson's uh book the language of electroacoustic music um and this one seemed to i had not probably a clue what any of it was but i read read the book from cover to cover and um it seemed to point me towards a music based on sound not based on notes um which i'd that was my whole understanding of music music is notes and pitches and and, and that kind of thing and i always felt we didn't have a great music class at school <laughs> um and so th this notion that i could make music or make some kind of sound that wasn't based on on that structure get, made me you know just really filled me with excitement and um and also i was kind of growing up in a in an era of kind of hardcore rave and um early acid and that sort of music was very sort of hands-on very kind of um just just working with machines and i think that really that kind of uh, gave me a bit of a bit of oomph to, to go and go do my own thing. And we did that 
for a few years. And then um, I think it wasn't until 2001, um, another friend of mine uh, was at Middlesex University and said, there's a Sonic Art course here. And Sonic Art seemed to me that like it was something I could do. It was accessible to me. Um, and and I, you know, the book, the books I'd read, the things that I was interested in all seemed to point towards this course. And so um, I started a degree in uh, Sonic Art, um, which was a great mix of electroacoustic music, installation art, sound synthesis, sound theory as well. And I studied with John Dack, um, Salome Vogelin, and Martin Robinson and the late Hugh Davis, which was, you know, a, a one, it was a wonderful time to kind of be there with those, with those people. Um, and really, I think I've been, I, I'd say it's the blueprint for all my endeavours afterwards, but it was, a, I'm, I'm still stuck in sort of moving between all of those different areas. Um, and strangely enough, after that, I mean, I, I'd been working in care work for 10 years at this point, I got a job at the University of Manchester as a technician. And um, from then on, I was kind of closely involved with electroacoustic composers, performers, artists, anyone who came through. And my career has been sort of being a technician there and um, a couple of other universities as well. Um, and I got to meet and work with Pauline Oliveros, work with Mertzbauer, with Keith Rowe, Francis Dumont, so many people I mean that's a really short list but um and what was great about that was every day I was learning something new every day I'd get a different perspective a different challenge um and, I, and it was fascinating I mean some you know some really passionate dedicated people came through and and I got to just see how they worked and it was yeah it's, it's been fantastic yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it must be a really interesting job working as a technician with all those people. Um, yeah, it must be great. And it's interesting that you talk about that kind of point where you, that kind of revelation of music as sound rather than notes, because I, yeah. I remember very strongly that, that that happened to me as well. And it, it wasn't, it had to be kind of given to me. It wasn't something that um, I sort of initially found on my own it wasn't until like my mm. third year of university that I had a pure data class and kind of yeah realizing that yeah no music can be kind of configured around sound and it can be something other than notes and stuff like that yeah, yeah. it's a very it's a very odd it's an odd way of working I mean like when you when you kind of read a bit I mean I'm not like an expert on Shafer but that you read sort of Shafer his his when he's trying to work that out for himself, um, you know, how do, how do I deal with this sound? And it's, it's, I mean, to get, yeah, I mean, without getting deeply theoretical on whether it's sound as material or whether it's, it's a technology, a particularly technological sound, if we just take it as sound, it's, it's a very different way into um, creating. Um, and, and it's, and it's funny that all the sort of points in, around Shafer like worldwide kind of it was it was a real moment that 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 as an idea could take off um and and yeah I mean like Cage and and uh Varese kind of talking about music in very different ways to what had come before 
um yeah yeah it's 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 been it's been liberating but equally frustrating yes and it's and it's still obviously you know when you grow up still even in music and going to music school and stuff you still grow up with this idea of music as notes and as, as this yeah abstract structure yeah. Um, yeah no i do i do yeah yeah so i think an interesting uh way of getting to know your approach also would be perhaps to quickly uh, learn about your research, which was um, mm. titled An Exploration of Listening to Acousmatic Music in the Concert Hall. So it sounds really interesting. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a quick overview of the research and explain how it might relate to the way that uh, you make music. Yeah, I think, um, I, I'm not, it, it, I don't know what, who's listening to this so i'll do a, a quick rewind on what sort of acousmatic music is well it's not it's not a complete thing on what acousmatic music but it's about what acousmatic music performance is and i think that's that's the important bit really um and it's it's you know and it's very basic basic starting point it was about uh putting sound through multiple loudspeakers um rather than putting it over two big speakers so if you if you go to a pop concert well actually pop concerts are lots of little loudspeakers now but they're just arranged left and right and they're loud and they're meant to be loud um acousmatic music uh is is performed to have loudspeakers around you and also for loudspeakers to have um particularly in the early days to be a like an instrument so you might have like a a bass speaker or a a, um, a solo speaker or a, a, you know an arrangement of particular speakers that give a particular quality of sound so that's the sort of the old kind of grm approach and so what you're doing is uh, for for say stereo diffusion is you're sending all the left channel to all the left-sided speakers all the right channel to all the right sounded loudspeakers and you're controlling the volume and it's it's deathly simple in how it uh you can create spatial motion from a from a piece from a piece of music just by adjusting the, the level of each of the loudspeakers so you can move it from front to back and around um in a very performative very kind of visceral kind of way um and this is sort of before dolby atmos still you know and, and ambisonics um and so this practice has quite a quite a long history particularly obviously in france um and you know latterly in the uk that different people have different approaches to spatialization but that's that's kind of the 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 area that i i sort of work in so my role as a technician is is just to refine the placement of those loudspeakers and to choose them according to the kind of repertoire um, that that would be in a, be in a concert. And I think what I found is being a concert maker and and less a composer. So I, I diffused more pieces than I composed. Um, is that every week uh, we would do things slightly differently. There wasn't. Um, you know a set and forget kind of system you'd have certain things that would be set but you would tweak uh different things for different people um and i found that there was a disparity between um that practice of concert creation and the 
the very kind of formal academic um, language that was used for for for, uh, for not for diffusion. Well, yeah, for diffusion and for what diffusion is. Um, the discourse was very composer-led. It was very formal. It was very idealized. It was very out of time, um, and it was very problem-focused. So it was like you'll often hear people sort of say, well, diffusion came about because they didn't, it was answering the problem of how do you play music with no set, with, uh, with no instruments over loudspeakers in a concert hall. And I think, I think that really devalues what the practice is. Um, it's much more than that. It's actually an extension of the comp composition. It's an extension of um, making music for people to listen to and for audiences to to be in so um so for me the practice was was very aesthetic it was it was a very aesthetic kind of thing it was very contingent it was very dynamic because it would change um but it was very pragmatic because you 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 had the room you had the loudspeakers that you had and you it was about finding as many choices as you could within that um so i that kind of developed a mini manifesto for me of um what the practice of uh, concert creation was. Um, and the research was just interviewing actually a lot of composers um, and sort of picking at why, what, what they said um, it, in different situations, sort of when asked a formal question, they'd respond very formally. And when you say, yes, but that was a beautiful piece. And then suddenly that all evaporates and you, they take on a very different, um, different language, different approach. Um, and so whilst I was at DMU, together with uh, then PhD students, uh, Andrew Hill and Mike Gatt, we formed Here This Space. And Here This Space was an organisation that wanted to put those concerts on outside of an academic concept, context. Um, and also to sort of re-inject the, the experimental into that practice. Um, it's it's still a very formalized uh, practice and I, I still think there's so much that you can explore um sorry i could go on about this for ages but like you can explore with non-standard loudspeakers and uh, non-standard placement of loudspeakers and color you know deliberately colored speakers but also using really good technology as well to to just to have contrast to to create something unique and um we, I think we worked with non-specialists non as well as established composers and that meeting was important as well. Um, and we, term, we coined the term sort of site-sensitive sound, which was to curate from the place, not from the piece. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you, would, you would curate, you, you'd have, an, have a place that you were gonna do a concert at, You'd curate the loudspeakers, you'd create the pieces that fitted and resonated with that place. Um, and so you were, we were talking about an event, you know, an event for people to, to be in, to get submerged in. Um, and it's, and I suppose it's about making, maybe another way of putting it is a lot of concert halls, a lot of loudspeaker systems should be transparent. And, and it's really, you're there to, to solely focus on the, the music that's being presented to you. So all of that kind of melts away. 
And I think for me, it wasn't about, it wasn't the opposite of that. It was just acknowledging that those, the loudspeaker system and the room and the setting and the placement of all of that is part of the process for you to absorb, absorb yourself in, in the piece of music. It's actually just, it just feels like a missed opportunity, I guess. Mm. So, yeah. That's really interesting because, I mean, obviously it's a really deep subject and, um, I mean, my little experience of that is with uh, the Hiss at Huddersfield, mm. um, which I helped set up a few times for Electric Spring. And yeah. But obviously it was always in the same space, always in Phipps Hall, um, yeah. first floor of the music building. And so, yeah, it was quite a systematic, I think the, the, the two or three years that I did, it was more or less the same setup and stuff. But I do know that it's gone on the road to various other places and yeah, yeah there must be a whole kind of level of reflection around um around taking a setup like that to a different space and uh, yeah and even the different kinds of speakers yes i remember remember people who are much more knowledgeable about speakers and things than me talking about a certain speaker being useful for reverb that you place yeah. in a certain part of the room yeah. and, you know that kind of stuff yeah no, it's, it's really yeah I mean, it's i mean it's a real practice and i think um the part i i, I think i was talking to John T informally many years ago, maybe when I was doing this and I was like, it feels like the, the notion of experimentation with that or that practice has gone. And I asked him when it happened and it was, and he said, when we got rooms, because previously they didn't have a concert hall for themselves. And a lot of places now have a, you know, they ha either have a, a set place where they go to um or they have a pre-configured sort of black box room and it's done and it's fixed i mean it's not to say that that's the only answer but it's when it's that against booking constraints and time constraints of how long you've got to get in and set up it's all very time consuming so um so it just gets withered away it just gets you know refined down which is completely understandable but it was something that for me was 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 a sad sad thing to sort of say yeah. goodbye to i guess yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm also curious to know about your approach uh, to musicking with with other people. So mm. um, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, you've played John Richards' uh, Dirty Electronics, which is obviously something that's very live and immediate. Mm. Um, but you've also worked, so you mentioned the Here This Space project, which was um, allowing people who aren't necessarily from the world of new music to be able to create things and mm. which is obviously a very different kind of relationship so um i was wondering if you could talk about your approach to working and performing with others from different worlds that they may come from um in a musical way yeah yeah i mean actually my 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 work with here this space was so influenced by john richards john would do workshops with people and and build uh, build little instruments together and then perform together and it was I I felt like that was a really um, that was very much a blueprint for just how I wanted to work with with other people um, and also for me it's still I'm still in sort of a facilitator kind of mode in in that sense and um, I we did with here this space we we did we got some arts council funding andrew applied for some arts council funding 
and we got uh, we were able to do workshops at three or four places across the country in Barrow and Finesse and in Leicester and um, somewhere else as well I can't remember and then uh, and what we did is we just put an open invite to people who might be interested in working with sound and the, the plan was is we invite people to work with sound and then um, they can create a piece and then they can we can put on a concert so I suppose maybe in a way I kind of reflected my own sort of way into this practice which was we it was we trying to be as we we gave people uh, access to the tools so we did some sound walks we did some listening sessions um we sat around with our computers and did, did some basic introduction on how to sort of edit and nothing too heavy but just so that they could they could feel their way around um and we showed them some some other examples of pieces but i think what was important about that is we showed them the the music but also why the people had made the music that they'd made so it was about so that people didn't feel like they had to do the same thing but that they understood that people go through a process of sort of working with sound material working with recorded sound um and how their listening kind of changed as a consequence of being in the world and then putting headphones on and listening through a microphone and then recording that and then out of time and that that kind of process was was really good and um the, i think the the one that shines stick, still sticks out for me today was these we had these two girls who came along with their mums and we did the sound walks and uh, we gave them a little recorder and they had that for a couple of weeks and they took it home they, they knew their way around the software i think well they learned it as, as they did and the two girls had gone round. we were doing it was at leicester museum and they'd gone around and they banged on all the walls which is like not the thing you do in it in, in a very sort of in a museum but we had the run of the museum for this workshop so they went around and they banged they banged on all the walls and they all had a kind of different sound and then um they came back and they found that they could increase the gain massively <laughs> and then they could clip and distort uh, this sound but then they sort of cut up all these bangs put them together and they made the most fantastic noise piece it was it was brilliant i mean it was it was a really really good piece and that's not in any way condescending it was just good it was just absolutely brilliant and um it was noisy but it was playful as well um and they just and they they diffused it in the in the in the museum and they they weren't really interested <laughs> it was very funny and so they kind of casually just like just poking at the fader and it would pop up here and it would pop up there and it was brilliant it was so good um i wonder i kind of wonder where they are you now I, I hope they, they're doing something but um yeah i think that was that was like a real i think that, that made me we, we worked with lots of other great people as well i have to say during, during those those periods and some we um, got to meet make some friends out of it as well and it it built a nice little kind of community um but i think sort of that my role in that was and and as my, and my role as a technician i'm kind of used to being I, i'm facilitating i'm enabling people to try and get the best of of what i can so my practice of of musicing is actually a step back from the, the from making sort of sound or making uh, music in in that sense 
but then me as a performer is a different relationship and it's I mean it's still very much a negotiation but it's um you know like when I work with Dirty Electronics even John was John would shape the piece he would conduct the piece and so your role was to just to to be to play the right thing at the right moment um as best you can you know and these are he makes very sort of noisy aleatoric kind of instruments which are uh wonderful and really expressive and very musical in a in a very broad kind of way it, it really made me think about gesture and timing as as that you know as very important kind of things um less you know the, there's no way to control pitch or you know or and that you've, you've got dynamics and you've got time and i think that uh he's he's brilliant at putting that together to to make to make music um and i suppose that 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 carries over then into my music making um when i'm improvising now with people it's i i think i build similar systems that aren't so based you know they're not they're not pitch based they're very noisy but it's about timing texture um and dynamics i think and i think that for me is like my way into to sort of improvising with people or making music with people my compositionally it's it's a whole nother it's a whole nother thing but um but yeah certainly in terms of the performances i've done that's that's where it's at yeah that's no, it was interesting hearing you talk about that workshop you did because um because hmm. uh, so in the flucoma project obviously one of the can the initial concerns I know for the development team was to try and mm. make sure that the tools aren't like these kind of black boxes that tell you how to do something. But then again, um, my colleague James Bradbury is currently mm. um, in Australia doing a workshop. I can't remember where exactly, but um, that's around the theme of of um, field recordings, and rather than yes. just sort of introducing the flucoma tools or machine learning yeah. music, it's around a certain activity, which, yeah, could kind of be pushing people into using them a certain way. But it's also something that I think is probably going to engage people, especially people who might not be quite so technically savvy about things. It's, I think that's a really good way of. Oh no, it, it's yeah, it's it's massively important. I mean, language. Uh, and discourse uh, i'm very 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 sensitive to that because it's you know it's how you present something like everyone's kind of, kind of there's so many sort of preconceptions about particularly about what we do and the way that we talk about it like that's my biggest thing of being a technician is translation you know i i yes it's it's all the technology and it's about understanding that that's that's true but a lot of it is translation. It's trans being able to translate something that is a is something technical, like maybe deeply technical, to something that is aesthetic. You know, and the, and it, the the without one, you, you know, it's it's wasted. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it, it it is. It's interesting. You guys are doing those uh, those 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 workshops because I think they're I think they're really important I do think I think they're massively important because it changes just to be hands-on with other people is is another way of of being with interesting ideas I think as well yeah yeah
Um, so over the course of your career, um, you've created many forms of music, which you've mentioned. Yeah. So you've got live performance, <laughs> diffusion, installations, all that kind of stuff. So I was just wondering if sort of taking a broad overview, if there are any recurring themes across those different forms, if there were similar approaches uh, to the way you... Yeah, I, I think um, it was funny because I think when I was thinking about this question, I, I, uh, like, I was just like, no, there isn't. It's like, it's really disparate. But I think some of the things that we've talked about sort of up to now, actually, is there's, there's, the, the theme would, I guess, would be sound and the way that I view sound. I'm, I'm more of a sound maker than I'm a music maker. And, I, it's bit, and I'm not, I, that whole debate of, whether something's music or whether it's sonic art or whether it's sound is is problematic in an academic sense but in a practical sense it's not it's very fluid you know i think we there's bits of sound art that are music and there are bits of music that are sound art and that they they flow between each other and, and it's you know that that's that's really important so um i mean like i do I do feel like a bit of a dilettante with a lot of what I do. I mean, I, like I have done now lots of different things. Um, but maybe maybe I'm just slow at working out what I want to do. I think, yeah. I mean, I started off, the two left is stuff, which is DJing outside of music was kind of a response to the, the more pompous aspects of academia, academia and electroacoustic music. And I, to, to interject those little performances in between quite serious things was was always quite fun um and unlike relief um but it, it, it i think there's there's always been an aspect of humor and dada and what i do um there were there were aspects in my installations as well that were that were about that um and also i think it even it's i think i've always felt like maybe there's i wanted to bring humor into a lot of what i do and it's I mean, it came. I think I did a I did a piece of music, which I then turned into a performance for for a Kima conference in Oslo, where um, I made a piece of sort of acousmatic electroacoustic music work with Kima, played it, but then um, halfway through interjected with a with a with a breakdown of uh, audience listening services, which was this company that I'd made up in my head and that the audience there were part of audience listening services um but i basically sacked them and replaced them with machine learning and um and and out, basically outsourced listening responses to cheaper countries where i could get it you know cheaper and and stuff like this and 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 each of them had a little letter saying that their jobs were being re-evaluated and basically sacked them and that, that it, <laughs> it really got it was quite a it was quite a response from people that like there were some people were actually horrified some people it really triggered them because they've been through it with work and um and i think i think that's just like taking sort of artificial listening machine listening and just making something playful making something dark maybe out of it um but sort of my my kind of i've tried to be a composer and i think maybe some of my elective mute stuff um is about that but that was also about like 
I just spend ages making sounds on my computer, almost to the point where I can do it in my sleep and I'm processing. I make hard drives full of sound, um, but I wasn't making anything with them. They were all very inspirational to me, but they weren't going out. So um, I think I just tried to start making some stuff with that. Um, and I'm that's I, it's probably my least um, developed thing that I do, but I've got some great people who offer me help and advice. And uh, John Wall's been really good, and Brona, my partner, has been really good. Um, yeah, making making compositions uh, is 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 far harder for me. But the I think that when I when I saw the Maya armband, that felt like I turned a corner because there was. I could take all my sound material and I could interact with it really, really directly. Um, and also the way that I could realize that, like I, I use odd speaker configurations as my loudspeaker. I don't, I can't, I do just go through a PA sometimes, but I like the idea of being able to perform with maybe other musicians or other sound makers, uh, but have, uh, have the loudspeaker that I've designed as an extension of, of me kind of thing. So that that re and there's so much with the armbands that I that I think that I want to do that it's um yeah it's just it just I there's a lot of mileage there for me now so it's yeah that feels like the moment that a few of those things come together and periodically they come together but as general themes I think it's working working with sounds aspects of humor aspects of trying to move beyond just or to work with sound in a context that is um that i'm i'm in control of i still see uh, there's still a bit of insulation art there that is the performances can be more global than just you know making sound kind of thing yeah that's great well i'd, I'd like to start discussing some of the technical sides of your creative mm. process because you talked about the armbands um, I think one important thing perhaps to start with um, would be to talk about Kima. And I'm glad yeah. that I was pronouncing that right. Um, it's all right. I, I, used to, I used to pronounce it wrong to the to Kurt and Carla who made it. I would say Kima. Yeah. And, yeah. They, and they would say, no, it's Kima. And I go, yes, that's what I said, Kima. <laughs> but I, have, I do start saying Kima now. I'm like, I'm, I'm better trained. Yes. Well, <laughs> So um, it's been a part of your practice for a long time um, and you're an active member of its community, which I'll come back to later. Um, but perhaps you could explain to me and the people listening exactly what Kima is, because it's, um, it's, um, it's got quite a big following, but it's uh, perhaps not known to everybody. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that it's a niche following, um, but it's... Uh, it's yeah so i mean basically it's a sound design hardware and software created by symbolic sound who are kurt carla scaletti and kurt habel and encomia gaffer who's the admin person um and it's used extensively in hollywood sound design most notably the i think the voice of wally and eva if you i if you ever watch the ben burt's sort of sound design things you'll see little bits of kima there um but essentially it's a software modular sound processor that runs on bespoke hardware. It's in the ballpark of kind of Max MSP, Super Collider and Reactor. And I think for me, one of its many strengths is the quality of the sound processing algorithms um, and the, the kind of ease of 
with which you can try quite complex stuff. You know, you can try, try cross synthesis quite easily. Um, and a lot of spectral morphing can be just done. And I think one of the things, the things that kind of turned it for me was actually um, the, the way you can take a sound you've maybe patched together and then you can say, right, generate me other patches based on this patch. And you can have what's called a gallery and uh, it just, you, you end up with a lot of stuff to sift through and play with. So it's like a bit like maybe like a preset randomization, but in a very kind of complex way. But that, um, that, that works for me because I, and I think it's maybe it's something that's, that, that unconsciously has come up is I learned through, I'm much more of a hacker than I am a, I, I'm gonna start here and then I'm going to, you know, find my idea. I like, I sift through things. I work kind of, I work basically more, for, I learn more from breaking things than I do from making things. So it's about, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sound design environment, um, but it's also a music, a very much a music environment as well. Um, it's brilliant for live performance. It has a timeline that you can, you can jump around. Um, I think what's great about it is that, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I really like the, the sound, sound quality of it, essentially. And is that, because um, so do, do you have to run it on the hardware? The, yes. Yeah, it has yes. to run on the hardware. And so does yeah. the sound quality come from the fact that you're able no, to create? I mean, there's, I think, no, I, I mean, it, I think it, it's really the, the quality of um, Kurt and Carla's algorithms. There's just, there's some sort of design choices that they've made about how, um, how sound kind of resolves and uh, that just make it very straight sort of forward um, for, for doing certain things. You haven't got to think that extra level um, ahead. They, yeah, they've just designed things very well with with sound quality in mind. I think, and it's and it's very much. Um, I think when you, you know, when it's maybe a, com a a larger company or maybe even an open source project, um, you you know th those, you have so many different ways of doing the same thing or so many different ways of coding. Um, an object or a, an oscillator, for example, that um, that's you, you just you know different people, different abilities come in. But these guys, when they design something, it's it's done very very well. It's it's designed to be real time, immediate, and sound great. I think, and that's that's just a ground up thing that they they've built over the years. Yeah, and I remember you talked to one point in a chat we had before about um, the kind of aura that some of the the creative coding environments can leave on the kind of sounds that you make so between mm. Max and Super Collider and, uh, and Kima that there being that perhaps a I mean I with my quite limited technical knowledge sort of see it as this kind of unexplainable kind of trace that gets um, ingrained within the sound um but yeah so is that is it that kind of it gets that gets that gets into very dodgy sort of hi-fi territory for me it's like you know that should we have 
should we have gold plated uh, USB leads and things like that? No, I mean, I think it's not, um, it's not that one thing sounds, they, they, it's, I, I think there's a point to which, so there are things that are very low level and very coded and baked in and their design choices, which sometimes echo out, sometimes don't. Um, some programs allow you to code right down to that level so that, that that kind of thing's mitigated. So if you want to code your own oscillator, then knock yourself out and that, you know, you can make those choices. Um, it's just, a, I think it's an affordance thing, but also like a, like the level at which you work, like I want to select an oscillator. I don't want to build one. So I'm just using what, what I'm given in that, in that sense. And if you're using what you've been given and that's a good thing, then, then it sounds great, you know, in, in a lot of different things. Sometimes it's not, you know, not, not always perfect and not always what you want, but, uh, it, I, I would be reluctant. I, I, I say casually sometimes. I like the sound of Super Collider particularly. Um, I think it has a very clean, um, very. When I hear it modulated, it just sounds right, particularly at a granular level. Like granular synthesis in Super Collider just, just always seems really crisp, really well-defined and i think martin butchershevsky and curtis rhodes like bear that out like the pulsar synthesis stuff sounds stunning really stunning um when i've heard pulsar synthesis in max i'm less compelled by it and i don't i couldn't say why i mean i really couldn't i mean i i suspect i might you know it might be to do with timings and resolutions and sort of orders of executions within the program but i'd be it's real speculation but it's i mean and it but it's not that max sounds bad max really doesn't like jesus oteca have made a, a lifetime of making music on that and it, their music sounds fantastic so it's not it's just yeah it's just certain things it just leads you to certain sounds and certain places so mm. yeah kima kima just does the same it just leads you to to play with certain things because you like you know you like the sound of them i guess yeah. they do they do all have a sound and a quality yeah 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 it's not necessarily a question of one sounding better or of higher fidelity yeah. it's just that they have different identities in some yes. aspects and that's just the way they are so, yeah. yeah yeah um well so having talked about the merits of uh, Super Collider and Kima. Uh, recently, yeah. you've been turning to Max. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if you could um, explain some of the motivations behind that. Um, and having come from that Kima background, if there are any challenges mm. that you had to overcome to make that transition. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm on, I'm on like a temporary break from Kima at the moment. And, and it was more, uh, I've always used Max. Like I, we got taught it on my Sonic R course and I've always used it ever since. Um, and it works really nicely alongside Kima. It's, it, Max is so great for sort of hard, particularly hardware translation or any kind of visualization. Um, and so the main reason was to get, to get back into Max at the moment was uh, to explore the concatenative synthesis stuff and some of the machine learning aspects. Um, 
I watched Rodrigo Constanza's flucoma, um, uh, well, a couple of his flucoma uh, presentations, and I really liked the ability to do real-time analysis on something and to try to match those with other sounds. Um, and I, I was just kind of fascinated with the possibilities of real-time sort of analysis and uh well i suppose it is a resynthesis of a, of a sort but a you know concatenative synthesis really um readjusting to max like on the sound side of things has been yeah that's that's been a learning that's been a learning i have to i'm starting all the things that we talked about when we make chemo patches at length you know in terms of order of execution and about how you know what you want to happen up one after the other in the dsp chain kind of came through and so now it's about for me with max it's about translating like the chemo language down to max max is much more low level particularly when it comes to kind of gen and code box and um it, importantly it can accommodate non-numerical data structures so you can have like a you can have a you know like a data a bank of data and you can process that bank of data um and like max i think max just takes a little bit more work to sound crisp it you can get there totally get there it just it just took for me a lot more time to just dig down into why am i getting clicks with that oh it's that and it's that because that's not happening at the right time in particularly for granular stuff because you've got windows and then you've got the source and you've got to make sure that that all kind of lines up to you so that it, it forms one grain kind of thing and then blowing that up so yeah um yeah it's 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 much more low level much more interesting but it and just different names for things <laughs> like sometimes i'm looking for something or oh it's called that and it's something completely different but yeah it's yeah mm. So uh, you talked about um, Rodrigo Constanzo's uh, mm. work that he did for the project and off the project as well, mm. coming to it with already his Comcat synthesis patch um, CCC combine or combine, I believe it was called. Yeah. Or um, so yeah, maybe we could take a look at some more flucoma related concerns mm. um so i thought a way into that could be uh by talking about a piece that you've already mentioned uh using the mg bracelets that mm. um so if i understand correctly they measure muscle activity and spatial position yeah um and i know that uh, in 2021 centrally performed that setup that connected this hardware uh, to Kima through a Max interface, and that you've been doing something more recently uh, similar using the Flucoma tools. So I was wondering if you could take us through these projects. Yeah, sure. So the I should rewind. The Mayo armbands were a were a lockdown revelation. Basically, I was I watched Atal Tanaka give a talk on Music Hack Space YouTube channel, and um, I just was I was. I was really blown away. Um, he was using the armbands to control uh, granular processes, um, oscillators, and using um, machine learning. I think the rapid mix thing, rapid mix object, which was a, a port of the Rebecca Fibrink Weconator uh, uh, 
project uh, in, and it would learn postures and then he would explore this, the space that he'd, uh, he'd created with that. And it's, it was fantastic. Um, and I think so many things clicked for me. I think like I was talking about earlier, it just, it was performing gestural electronic music without having to be sat still or sat down. Um, and so much of music's touch-based as well. Like every instrument is is about touch, and for some reason, I think it's uh, yeah. My, I I responded to it not being touch based. It felt more liber liberating for me. I wasn't a type a good type. I'm not a great typist, um, so live coding's like completely out, and um, and I'm also not a keyboard player. So th this felt instrumental for me. Um, and it allows me to explore objects as well. I mean, just holding things and interacting with them, like is a is an avenue that I haven't really worked on. But from the start, I was like, I could hold something and I could explore the sound of the thing I'm holding just by holding it. Um, and I was also I did a Stein residency many years ago, and um, I got to play with Michael Vazovich's hands and. Uh, I've watched some YouTube videos when we were there and, and subsequently, and he's just that, that performance of being in front of people. He was live capturing sounds and transforming them. And it was, it was just, it was mesmerizing. And um, so, yeah, unfortunately, just as I got in, I saw Atal's thing, they, they, uh, the EM, the armbands, had they'd stopped being sold and then they stopped being supported shortly after so luckily i was able to get everything i needed just before that i found some on ebay i thought i'd just try it out to start with and just as soon as i put it on it was like my body was a modulator does that make sense it was like um it, it really was an, an extension of my body in a way that was um which I didn't have to think about. I didn't, I could control, but not in the way that it was a very different. It allowed my body to be my body without trying to force my body to be something as well. Um, and uh, I, th I think a lot of, a lot of the work I've been, is really just exploring what, what Atal was doing, you know, in that, in that one project, but with Kima as the sound source. Now I'm working, um, and explore, uh, exploring sort of gesture recording and posture capture. But um, I think though that, that kind of machine learning thing is, is interesting. And I, but I think I, I was watching Frida Abtan's um, talk with you uh, the other week, and she talks about the process of mapping being very sort of very personal. And I would, I would really agree because when it's when it's coming from my arms, when I'm trying to match that to something, um, when you get it right, it feels right. It it's it not just sort of not just sonically, but sort of you know viscerally in my arm, it feels right. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I mean the core of what I do is is that the Mayo object in Max takes the Bluetooth data from the armbands spits them into Max and they get massaged a bit, sent out to OSC and to Kima. Um, and Max is the kind of, has been the, the translation layer, the visualization layer. 
Um, but the recent stuff has been exploring the 3D corpus, um, the flucoma based uh, patch that was, I think I found on, on, the, on the community forum actually. And um, for the last performance uh, we did, uh, we hacked, I hacked that and my colleague Milad Mardake uh, hacked that, we hacked that together because he was working on some similar stuff. Um, and he gave me some sounds um, and we played that over some field recordings that Scott Wilson was playing. Um, and it's not my usual palette because I'm much more into the sort of granular stuff, but it works, it worked really nicely. Um, and I think I also did a performance where I played and Scott, uh, my colleague had built a super glider patch that did some machine listening. And uh, that would, it was like, it, it would take what I'd play and play something back based on what I play. And it was the most uncanny experience. And I think that's something I'd like to explore for myself. It was a nice improvisationary thing. Um, and also the, the Mayo stuff, as I said, as I said before, is I, I uh, play through, I like to play through some loudspeaker setup that I've kind of designed. Um, and, you know, I played, I played with one set with two hemispherical speakers and a sub, and that was, that was really nice because it kind of emanated out um, and gave a bit of a spatial quality to it. I'm working with some little uh, speakers at the moment on goosenecks. Um, but also I, something I want to work with more is, uh, is, is something more mobile, like a mobile setup. So these with Bluetooth speakers and, and stuff. So yeah, the, it's, the flucoma tools I think are, are gonna be important for, for that. I think the, the, the corpus aspect has been really, really interesting in the way that um, it's just allowed, allowed me to explore sounds um, in a very sort of, in a very spatial way, I think. Um, and I think there's more things in terms of like, uh, in terms of machine listening that I could do. But for now, the, the corpus based stuff is, is, is what's exciting me. Yeah. Well, it's um, also bearing in mind, you said earlier about having hard drives of sounds that uh, yeah. made and yeah, perhaps having a way to 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 tap into these large collections of sounds, which is one of the premises for the for the entire Flicoma project, which is uh, yeah trying to to approach this question. Um, yeah, I, I would like to stay on the this idea of corpus and this corpus map, which is something um, that I found that I find exciting, but also very. I mean, it's something, I, the first time I saw it um, was at a Flucoma plenary uh, when Gerard, um, team, um, mm. he presented this 2D corpus map that he'd made in, yeah. in Super Collider. Um, and so you were talking, I believe, um, about the 3D navigation tool that was made by Balin Laxo, um, yeah. who I'll actually be talking with on the next podcast, which is um, 
can be quite interesting. Well, thank you. Thank him from me. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll do that. Um, so, I mean, so obviously it's, it's existed for a while. There's been things like the ICAMS, yeah. cat art, stuff like that. Mm. Um, I've had experience with it. I've mainly used it for kind of as an artifact for, for, or a tool for, for analysis and as a way of understanding a collection of sounds. But I'm really mm. interested in understanding how you engage with this tool in a much more aesthetic way. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about how one approaches a two or three dimensional space in an aesthetic or musical way. Yeah, I, I think um, that, uh, well, the last performance we did, we did, you know, we, we used that, that 3D map quite extensively and I tried it was funny because I actually tried lots of different corpuses, tried, you know, just sort of working through. And I suppose to some degree, I, I know I could probably, and I should get into the point of like really curating a corpus. I think that would be, I think that's the thing. But I think I quite like the unexpectedness and the exploratory nature. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very aleatoric like that. But at the same time, for me, what's great about it is with the armbands, um, particularly the 3D model, um, I'm, I feel like I'm exploring a world of sound. I'm navigating through a world of sound. Um, and that, that really resonates with me. So it's, it feels like, it almost feels like sometimes I'm like reaching out and I'm touching Sorry, I'm trying to get this in, in shot. I'm reaching out and I'm touching sort of sound and the sounds, the grains are shooting out my fingers. Um, and I think that comes from the way that, that the Mayo works, but also how it works in relation to exploring a corpus, you know, it, to, to, granular, to granular processes maybe. Um, and that's, I, I mean, we we hacked the patch a lot. I think from a from a like a performance perspective, it does. There's a point to which sonically you get very similar material. So we we hacked in um, some pitch transposition, some time stretching, um, extending the the length of the of the grain, um, and we also we did a crazy thing with and it ended up being like a enveloped pitch transposition so each each grain would kind of go up in pitch a bit like um glisson synthesis you know it would kind of just go up in pitch kind of thing um and the one thing the one thing that we'd explored because i used cat rt like years ago and it was a bit flaky and my colleague milad had used it quite extensively and he'd there's one thing that we haven't quite figured out. So if anyone wants to help us, please drop us a line. Um, is getting tones. Uh, the the Cat RT one, you were able to, I think it would extend the grain so that it would repeat the grain. So you could end up with, with sort of drones out of it. Um, we haven't quite figured out um, how to do that yet. Although I think we've got some there's some interesting things, but it, avenues. So, so really, it was about. Um, also, it's it's to do with because um, the patch that 
the, the 3D corpus patch triggers sort of uh, a set of like one or 17 or uh, nearest grains. So you, you explore, you can either explore an actual point or you can explore like a, a region and you can move that. You can either move the region through or you can move it, you know, point to point kind of thing. And um, uh, that, that actually gives you a lot of expressive kind of control but you end up with a lot of re repeating grain kind of sound. And I think I, we wanted to um, just play with that a little bit in terms of how, how grains were triggered, whether they're triggered, they're triggered at the end of the, of the grain cycle in, in his pack, but I think we broke that. And I think my armband triggers that now. So you don't get such, uh, you can control how it's, how it's triggered. Um, so yeah, so that that's sorry, that's quite a deep dive on <laughs> onto how we used it. But that's yeah, I think that's how we used it, uh, how we use that patch and how we use how we would explore a three-dimensional patch. And I think, yeah, as, I suppose as, as well. I mean, it's that I know Rodrigo's got one another one of his uh YouTube videos was with a guy who tells a story, I think, with each corpus of of sounds that he he has, and I found that really interesting to approach corpus design as as, a, as an aesthetic kind of choice. And and we, I, I have been doing that, and I think we did that particularly for the last performance with the sitar sounds. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's that definitely it's made me think differently about how I'm going to approach what sounds I put in. Um, but weirdly. You, I find too much diverse material doesn't work. It just sounds to it always because it's always random. So yeah, there has to be some kind of um, what's the word? Uh, it's just some kind of link between the sounds, or they have to to come from some similar family of of sort of tones, or have something that links them um, sonically. For for I think for it to to be fun and to be uh, to be something that can be watched as well mm. or listened to. Yeah, it, it's an interesting activity as well. Yeah, uh, Leafcutter John, who I'm currently writing his article about the stuff that he did for the project, talked about mm. this activity of curating a sound world and, and mm. building up a corpus that makes sense or that where things will complement each other and things like that. It's, it's, it is this whole idea of corpus and also interchanging corpor corpora with, it also throws up questions about the kind of uh, conceptual divide that there could be between this thing that's going to be triggering the sounds and this corpus that's going to be filling up this shell and then navigating that and, and yeah. like people approach the this, these kind of balances very differently and it's it's really it's really interesting way to approach things um you talked earlier about um so using uh it was the rapid uh, mix object i believe it's called um, the, the rapid mix uh, yeah. rapid, max rapid max object, sorry, yeah yeah um which is a port of rebecca fiebrink's workinator mm. um i remember i saw rebecca present at the Huddersfield uh, Creative Coding Symposium about yeah. five, four years ago, maybe. Um, yeah. 
and seeing that kind of neural net mapping for the first time yeah. and that moment of just like wow that's that's like yeah. that's such a powerful tool it is. um and this whole and sort of yeah i've i think a lot of people always find it quite difficult the the, the the idea of mapping basically is always something that can be quite yes. problematic. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if maybe you could um, talk about that. So I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea and how somewhat anonymous or unmusical data could be given life through its mapping to sound and the different ways in which this could be um, achieved. Um, I'm wondering how you approach mapping um, do you have a series of gestures in mind beforehand or is it the sound that will drive the gestures? How, how do you approach that whole kind of question? Um, I tend, the, the EMG data that I get off it is really noisy. And um, so I generally use that kind of thing for micromodulations or trying to jitter effects. Um, and the spatial motion of the arm waving is used for kind of larger scale sort of stuff, really. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's like, it's like, I suppose, with everything else, it, it's kind of an iterative process. Um, I, I, I don't quite know what would be the starting point. I think, I think the starting point is, um, Finding, finding something that responds well to those, to mostly to the micro gesture things. I use that. I use the EMG stuff also to trigger things as well. Um, and it's it's that it's the I've got that sort of micro and sort of uh, process, and I've got that macro process. And I think that when I'm exploring. Um, a patch it'll be what what parameters kind of work with those those two let those two scales of modulation i guess um i mean most of the time i'm exploring streams of grains or as i say micromodulating oscillators um and it's 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 interesting because it it changes how you view or i view my body i don't now just see my body as you know my hands or my arms or legs or whatever but it's i'm a mass of electricity and and that and you that really comes to life with these with these armbands and so um it's it's about transposing that into some kind of patch and for me it's all that that stuff always sonically maps to sort of oscillators you know, micromodulation of oscillators. It's a very kind of stochastic kind of sound, a very Zanarkis kind of sound, and also grain, uh, granular stuff as well. It, it just, you, you, I mean, literally, you plug each of those EMGs into an oscillator and listen, and it's just, it's just a bubbling, swarming mess. Do you know what I mean? And it's, I kind of like, I kind of like that sound. Um, I think uh, the only thing I think that there's a performative concern, and I think one of the performative concerns is if I'm not doing anything, if I'm not moving, then there's no sound. 
Now that's that's hard with the EMGs because sometimes they'll just, but I can threshold them out, but I, I, I don't want to threshold them out so much that I lose the danger of it or the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the sort of immediacy of it. Um, so yeah, I can, and I, I want some of it to be readable by the audience. I mean, some of the some of the motions, some of the things that I do, are very um, subtle. So like I can, I mean, you know, you can see my hand, and I just be a little flick of the finger, and and that will trigger something, and I can feel it trigger something. Um, but it makes for a very sort of intimate performance. And I think, I mean, I've done some bolder stuff with sort of my arms up here or, or down there, but they're, they're always bigger gestures. I tend to map, I also tend to make it more readable. I think I tend to like to map pitch up and down. So it's very theremin-like in, in that regard. Um, but in terms of dynamics, dynamics come from, it's, it's a mixture of things, really. It's a mixture of, how much tension is in my arm how much i'm sort of straining there um and so, and the other motions the sort of twists and turns come from more um they, they'll they'll affect something different in within the patch um i think sometimes yeah sometimes i just look like i'm doing tai chi really badly <laughs> and I, I think yeah I, I'd like to talk to a dancer maybe about movement. I mean, my, my, I'm very, a lot of the time I'm very still, although I, I'm still, but I can move around. So, so my top half is very rigid, I guess. And the, the movements are very, very slow and very kind of controlled, but that's really, I'm, I suppose I'm just like controlling modulation. So it's, it's how the, how the sound works but the 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 sort of the grainy stuff that's burbling on underneath gives it an energy and then this just gives it a sort of a larger shape so i think yeah my mapping is about working with those two scales of 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 time maybe and motion well so yeah certainly those two scales of motion um and then applying that to um to, to whatever patch I'm working with. I mean, with the 3D corpus, like one arm is navigating the, the 3D space. So, you know, up, down, sort of left, right, and turning and stuff. And then I think I've got a wave in um, motion, which is kind of, well, actually it's, it's more that. So you have that, which is rest, and then a wave in is one motion, then a wave out is another. And I have the wave in controlling some, uh, I think that the range, of the random elements I'm controlling. And then uh, the other arm is controlling uh, pitch and time, uh, um, yeah, pitch transposition and time stretching. So, but sometimes I'll just be, you know, I'll be in these very contorted kind of shapes, which I quite like. I don't mind, I don't mind looking a bit awkward. I don't want to look beautiful and, but I want to, I think if I was, work, if I worked with anyone, it'd be about, working more with that if that makes sense and maybe training my body postures my posture is just shocking anyway so it'd be nice to work you know on the posture of it but um so yeah it's an iterative process it's about working between those two i think the 
the, the rapid mix and the posture capture stuff for me i've got i've got one mac uh, chemo patch actually that i've got too many parameters and that's that's where i want to try that because the, the thing is is when you move parameters sometimes they there's a lump or yeah there's a you wouldn't put those two parameters there at that point so it's i've got to i've got to try it out but at the moment all my stuff's pretty much one-to-one -one stuff and it's just the methodical kind of working through what works what doesn't changing your ranges and stuff i need to i need to do some nicer max programming so that at the moment I, it's very dirty and low level and like putting values in here and i want to it'd be nice to get a, one that just just draw draw your ranges in and that's what gets sent um i kind of had that with the chemo patch but yeah since i've rebuilt it's it's still in work in progress i think it's yeah. Like, it's uh, it is interesting to hear you speak about how how the audience are going to be perceiving that kind of thing as well because obviously i have to mention the flucoma mlp regressor objects as mm. well which is which is um which is doing essentially the same kind of thing as uh, as rebecca fubrink's uh, reckoning yeah. stuff and and yeah so some some of the for example, Sam Pluter, he used that quite heavily mapping, you know, these chaotic synthesizers um, to his uh, his three dimensional joystick. Yes, um, yeah. And it was very useful for him as uh, to be able to play and create mappings, build up, build up what I called in the article I wrote about it, these sort of corpus of mappings, corpora of mappings yeah. that he could switch between and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, yeah, um, he has, I suppose, the luxury of being sat behind the computer, whereas you with these bracelets are stood in front of the audience and your gestures are going to be seen. So I suppose it's, yeah, that's a, a concern. It, yeah, it is. I mean, it's not, I, I think I think what Atal Tanaka's done is actually a very, he's done it in a very magical kind of way. So he'll, you know, he'll record posture so he holds his posture and then he he records another posture and there's a sense of i think the audience can can follow that and then they can follow back where he's come because i think he only sets a couple of postures and then and then moves between it and I, and i think that's i think that's good i think that's really interesting and i it's definitely something i want to explore but i think it's i'd like it to be it's, I think it's got to, be, I, I'd like it to be readable. It doesn't have to be. I'm not like, I'm not, a, a, you know, hard and fast on that, but I, it's, it's such an odd thing to watch somebody wave their arms around <laughs> and make quite weird sounds anyway, to, to, for that to sort of bear no relation to what they're seeing is sometimes is a really hard sell. I had one guy come up to me after the after one gig and he was like, so are you controlling all of that? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, but how? And so I said, just put them on. So I just literally put them on him. And he started waving his arms around like this. And he was like, and it sounded, it sounded awful. And he was like, that sounds terrible. You must, you must, you must have learned this. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not, I'm not just, I have to, I have to practice i have to rehearse a little bit um and to make it's actually a very subtle instrument it's not 
you know, if well, damn, I use the word instrument, but but it is, it's a very subtle system. It's just a very subtle assemblage. Um, and so you you it's you, you've got to listen, you've got to really listen uh with your body and listen within the sound and with the sound because you it's it's exact again, it's exactly what John Richard's stuff is doing. You're you you've got a kind of a semi-chaotic system which you've got to listen to and respond to and then and move on in a musical way. Do you know what I mean? So you're really in that in that sort of loop of listening and performing and where you know and thinking forward and thinking where am I now and what am I get what am I, how am I going to make that you know and then moving towards that so it's yeah it's it's very interesting now it's not so I think I think what would be interesting with those is setting those systems up and then really flagging that up to the audience that when I'm here this happens when I'm here this happens I like the idea. I mean, it's just, it is magic when it's like you've got a lot of parameters that you need to control and you can just do it with one or two. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what I just was blown away by when I saw, when I've seen those videos that you mentioned um, and I've seen other people do. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I need to work it into the, into the practice, I think. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so maybe moving on to a few broader questions. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, so I mentioned earlier that you're a big part of the, uh, the Kima community. Um, and you even, I think you mentioned as well that you helped organize an, ed an edition of the Kima International Sound Symposium. Um, so obviously the building up of a community has been an important part of the COVID project, um, mm. be it from like a good help and tutorial structure to the creation of an environment where people feel welcome and encourage each other's creation. Mm. Um, so coming from the Flucoma, uh, from the Kima um, community and you know, um, having seen Flucoma stuff, I'd just like to get some of your thoughts on the idea of community and electronic music and perhaps by saying what, what's important for you in that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say, like, congratulations to, to everyone in the Flucone project, because it's, it's a big undertaking. And the, the, all the tutorials and the um, forums and the websites um, and have been, you know, been really helpful for someone like me sort of coming coming at it I just want to pick this up and integrate this into my practice it's been it's been so easy and you know to to follow a few YouTube videos and then suddenly go well I can do that you know I mean sometimes it's copying then you copy and then you hack a bit and then you go oh that does that and then you you get to understand things so for me that's really helpful I think having starting points that are there um already is is massive i mean so, that was i think a little bit of the thing with um with cat rt was that all the objects and stuff were there but it was all quite still quite low level and you needed quite a, a bit of prior knowledge to sort of get going with it so um that's massive that's that's really and so thanks thanks so much from me and i know a bunch of my colleagues back at, at work as well um i think for any community 
yeah this is gonna this is gonna be a difficult this is a difficult like what makes a good community it's a difficult kind of question because there's we it's there's there's what our community is and what our community could potentially be i guess but for me um accessibility uh, respect and being welcoming is fundamental um the the community the chemo community but, but as i said as you said i organized the, the kiss conference but i'd been to four before that and i think when a when a community is a, an in-person community and an online community it makes such a difference and you, you lose all that kind of anonymous trolling you know because mm -hmm. you know the person so you can kind of you can call them out you know and, and actually it doesn't really happen so it doesn't you know that, that calling out doesn't need to happen but um so the the, the chemo community is good in as much that uh the official symbolic sound community is is a is a little forum and a q a session and this and this what was once a year sort of meet up of all the people that are, that, that come along um but we also we also set up uh, once twice sometimes three sometimes four weekly meetings where a group of us just get together on a on a zoom call like this and work through issues work through problems we group build stuff so particularly on a tuesday evening it's a group build evening so we'll build a patch or we'll work on a project and there's some really brilliant people in that community i mean both both technically and aesthetically and um i, I think what's great is that the, yeah everyone's covered in in that in that community and there's the, you know they're different people they're, they're different sort of backgrounds there's sound designers there's um musicians there's coders and I, they're all just very generous they're dabblers <laughs> you know people who just want to you know watch along and see what's going on and everyone respects everyone else everyone is generous with their time and their um their input and and there's there's real respect there and i i for me it's it's a wonderful place to be um the, the elephant in the room is is gender and diversity um and ethnicity and we don't you know the chemo community is not particularly diverse um that's not really good enough but uh and we we have a lot to learn i mean like georgina born uh, Madison Haying, who's in the chemo community, she's uh, written uh, a PhD thesis on some of those aspects. Um, I know you've uh, at Huddersfield have got Elizabeth Dobson, who's part of the Women's Yorkshire Women's Sound Network. There's there's more we can be doing, and I think a lot of it is there's many ways to to skin that cat, but we we need to you know we need to look at the language that we're using and the discourse that we're using um and and it's a i think it's about how that discourse is shared um and it's about as as a man as a white man as a white affluent man um it's about just listening and changing sort of simply for me in that regard um i hope any any community that shares uh helps people to realize their aesthetic outcomes and, and supports them is, is is always a good thing i think so i think we, you know, we mustn't lose sight of that but um yeah i think i think that's it i think it's it's respect being supportive being respectful of 
different people's abilities, different people's paths on the journey, allowing people to fail, allowing people to do stupid things. Um, yeah, that's so important. Mm. Like, it really is. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's interesting, that point you raised about um, online communities versus physical communities, because mm. it's, yeah, I, I, I must say that, you know, if I've ever had any bad experiences uh, in some kind of electronic music related community online it's usually with the kind of bigger anonymous user-based kind of yeah. things um whereas yeah but these smaller communities and you know we've we obviously had some commission composers and plenaries where we get together physically but now there's also the workshops and stuff mm. and so yeah there is we have made this effort for for there to be yeah, people to know who people are and also you know what I'm trying to do with the podcast as well make yeah. introduce people to people and you know yeah. to learning about people and stuff like that so yeah no it's really interesting no i i think it's massively important it's really i mean like you say i mean not always can everyone kind of get together but i mean the, the things that you're these podcasts that you're doing i mean we did we did some performances and then after because we could we didn't because of covid actually we couldn't get together for the chemo conference so we just did some online and again that it's just that extra effort makes such a big difference um, makes such a big difference yeah. um so talking about community, uh, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, also your role um, in Beast Fest, or is it Beast Feast? Beast Feast. Beast Feast, sorry, yeah, because the, the A Beast is, of Feast. It's, yeah, yeah, there's a small A and a capital yeah. other letters. Yeah. Um, so I know a number of people that have performed there that have, have used the Flucoma tools yep. or are using them, um, be it team uh, people in the team or um users so i i mean you've already talked about it a bit but i'd love to hear about your approach as working as a technician in this kind of event and how you approach kind of welcoming artists in to use this kind of bespoke uh, setup that is the beast yes <laughs> this is the beast yes indeed um i i think is the part of my job i think i one of the parts of my job that i love the most actually um and it's it's sharing that group effort because particularly with beast it's it's a beast community it's not that we don't we don't have hordes of technicians that set the system up it's it's i mean maybe i, I don't know what I, probably it's a similar thing for you but it's it's phds and ma students and some undergrads that that literally put the hours in to set the system up. It's massive, it's a massive undertaking. Um, and so, you know, we, we all come together, we put the system up um, and then everyone sort of scurries away again and a few of us are left to sort of just finishing touches and then to introduce that to whoever's come through the door. Um, and I have to say, I mean, most of the people that come to the festival have an understanding of, of what, what we're about. I don't have to teach them, you know, why the loudspeakers are the way they are. Um, and so it's, it's about really just, they've got a new piece or they've got, they've made something and it's about 
what choices that are in the system are relevant to their to their piece and about negotiating that and about um just supporting them being their sounding board um uh i mean john t's done a done a great job in designing that system with with a lot of choices so you can play a stereo piece and you've got plenty of diffusion opportunities but you can also play an, an ambisonic piece and have ambisonic you know opportunities spatialization opportunities within that so i mean it's that's why it's so big it's it's so that you've got so many choices it's it's not um yeah it's really not just like about having lots of loudspeakers um it's about aesthetic choices and and it, and also it's about i think for for maybe some of the students who are less experienced who play their you know maybe play the first or second piece on the system it's about saying well, look you don't need to worry about that eight speakers or this 16 speakers your piece isn't about that it you know just focus on you know what what you can do with this and with this if it's an intimate piece you know you you don't need maybe big the big loud big loud speakers off to the distance or if you or if your piece is very big and bombastic you're going to need them to be you know where where it is and it, you know every piece has contrasts and stuff without that but it's about yeah how you i think this is the thing about again about time is it's about shaping that piece through time and and through through in the room with the loudspeakers that you've got it's about how how that piece sort of comes to life in that room and how you can bring it to life in that room um so it's yeah i guess it's it's i mean diffusion itself is really difficult like it's like playing the piano with all the keys jumbled up because every time you sit down at the diffusion desk you're dealing with different loudspeakers in a different room and, you know and so it's you have to it's it's just kind of making the right sort of choices and and i think a big part of my masters was understanding just how contingent the practice is it's really it's really a negotiation between the you know the piece the musician uh that sorry the piece the diffuser the the loudspeakers the room and the audience um and it's you know each of those has little things which need to be heard need to be expressed need to be you know manipulated the dynamics of the piece or the, the spectral elements of the piece how they're controlled throughout um which which reflects back on what the point the purpose of the piece was or the you know the aesthetic choice within the piece um i think that practice it's not that that was part of the the other part of the thing is there's nothing written down about that practice um it's it's nigh on impossible to do it because it is it's it's like it's a it's it's almost a sensibility that comes from doing um and it's a very difficult thing to put down into words um i know uh, annette van der gorn in uh, belgium uh, has a workshop and she does a workshop sort of every year or every couple of years and they have a little competition I'd, it would be nice if there was something that was more open and accessible to to everyone in the uk it'd be nice if there was something like like that in the uk 
because it's when when you put when I we know when we did hear this space and we sat people down with that they were they loved it you know it's it's a very direct it's a very immediate kind of thing you can do but and everyone finds their own way with it as well but it's uh it's it's still it's still a very immediate practice and it's still a very um advanced practice for those that are very good at it as well mm. um and yeah and people have very different approaches to it as well which i which i find interesting yeah um i suppose maybe a good way to conclude around that kind of stuff so obviously i think it's fair to say that um the whole idea of diffusion is quite a important part of what you do in your job and hmm. when you're helping others have their pieces performed and um but one one i think one aspect that we've kind of been touching on um but that you that we haven't really looked at directly is how you approach um diffusion of your own music and of your own setups and um hmm. Um, yeah, I was wondering if maybe to finish, we could, you could just uh, discuss that. Um. Yeah, so I mean, like with different, when we were with here this space, we we took a lot more of an experimental approach to to diffusion, and so we would have different qualities. It was it was like an extension of maybe the early experiments of GRM or Borge, where they had very sort of non what we you know maybe even quite visual arrangements of loudspeakers i mean i think borge at one point had sort of um perspective like the loudspeakers were kind of going to a point at, at one point like today it's much more kind of sort of circular so when we when we were doing here this space and we were performing work there yes it was we would try we would try and play the room as much as possible um for me i'm i'm a bit of a luddite i like stereo diffusion i mean th there's great eight channel pieces and ambisonic pieces and um but I, I i really really like uh, a stereo to mini system i think it's such a nice interpretive practice um and what i think what it makes for me is it makes the it really brings to as i said to you before it kind of brings to life the shape and scale and quality of a sound so you know we, we often talk about clouds of sound or clouds of grains in example but when you're in a room with lots of loudspeakers that it, it takes on the, the the size and scale of of, of a of a cloud um we had <laughs> we were testing the system back in september and somebody had a recording of a bee and um they played the b sound and this b sounded huge like it sounded like really big and then all of a sudden i got this moment where i felt really small like it was like a real alice in wonderland shift in perspective just just from what you're hearing do you know what i mean and um that that's flatter on stereo and it's like with diffusion or with multiple loudspeakers you're stepping into that that frame and for me, loudspeakers are not uh, are not transparent. They're, they're things that they're extensions of the pieces. They're the physical manifestation of the pieces. Um, 
and they they give they bring they bring that those qualities into the room into the place that you're listening and into you know and 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 as things as well we forget it's you know often loudspeakers are just away and we don't want to see them and um i got I, I sort of my I, I suppose my heart's still in where with the GRM where you actually see the loudspeaker and the speakers almost sculptural in the way that it looks. But in terms of my practice, I think everything I do now, I think I think of um, sound as being a spatial, as being an extension of the loudspeaker. So what does this loudspeaker bring to the sound that I'm putting into it? Um, and so that's that's really important. So I mean, but I know people talk a lot about oh, I like this loudspeaker, or you know, particularly Genlecker, like ubiquitous for us. And I think you've got lots of Maya loudspeakers, and people you know talk about, and and rightly so, talk about you know frequency response, angle, you know, angle of dispersion. And these things are important. They're 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 very much technical aspects of what we do. Um, but sometimes the, the that that scientific that the science of it gives it a um, what's the word? It gives it a grounding or a validation that that it doesn't deserve. It's an, for me, it's a negotiation of that that scientific quality, you know, the scientific measurable aspects. But what they can offer to a, a piece of music or a sound. Or, a, or, a, or an assemblage, you know, what they offer to the whole as well. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I think with, with all my practice, it's, I think, I think through the loudspeaker, I think. Mm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really interesting. That talking of really struck me when you talked about that shift of perspective that you experienced. Mm. That, I, I experienced that myself at, one one gig in electric spring and it really kind of yeah it really kind of made me realize that you know a loudspeaker setup is more than just putting sounds around you it's really yeah yes yeah. yeah yeah simon thank you so much for that that was uh, really really interesting um really fascinating i think people have got a lot out of hearing about your praxis um so i'll be putting links to everything that we've uh, talked about today um, on the page where this will be living on uh, the Flukema website. Um, and so just time left to thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for welcome. reaching out. You're quite welcome. Pleasure. That's really, really interesting. Thanks a lot, Simon. Speak no to problem. you soon. Ta-ra. Bye.